back on the Fan Morning Show. Sports at 590 Fan, Justin and Ailish. Final hour here. Lots to get to. We got Keith Yandel. We got the Wake and Rake with Leafs and Avs to tee up our golf picks for this weekend. Danielli's NCAA March Madness preview. Our bracket is going to be posted quite soon for everyone to play along. That, by the way, will be a two-day extravaganza. Danielli's picks. We'll have really some... Really putting him to work, eh? It'll be tourney and region futures from him today. And then tomorrow, <laughs> because the tournament starts tomorrow, we'll get some... Uh, Maybe single bets from round one, Thursday Perfect. and Friday. Lots to come. I don't know what he's got planned for us, but I'm hoping it's quality and quantity. You know that that's just how he rolls. Quality yes. and quantity. All right, let's kick off this 8 o'clock hour with our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. It's Keith Yandel, former NHL defenseman and current Sportsnet analyst. You're on the panel for Monday night's Leafs and Sabres game, which didn't go the way of the Toronto fans, but nonetheless was a pretty good matchup between uh, the Battle of the QEW. Yeah, it was a really good game. I um, was a little shocked that Buffalo hadn't been playing great. Um, they're kind of a team I've been waiting for, watching. Hopefully, you know, it's always good when Buffalo can make a push and try to make it to the playoffs, uh, especially for them. It's been a while. But um, I thought the, the Leafs played pretty good in the first. Uh, Anderson kind of made a lot of big saves and kept them in the game. And uh, it was one of those things where it's kind of a little bit too late for the Leafs when it came to the end. So 11-7 is the big topic in Leafland. 11 forwards, 7 defensemen, how long that will last, what Ryan O'Reilly's return will mean for that lineup configuration. Uh, you've experienced 11-7, I imagine, over the course of your career. How does that affect a player? How does that affect, namely, a defenseman who played, you know, an offensive role yourself? Uh, what's it like when you're dealing with 11-7 when you're playing the blue line and how that might affect the entire organism of a team? Yeah, I never was a huge fan of it. Um, I think if you ask any D, they'll say they don't like it. And if you ask any forward, they'll say they love it because it's kind of one of those things where it's taken away from ice time from a D-man or taking a, or giving more ice time to the forward. So um, it's just kind of one of those things, too. I think the biggest thing for me when we played it, it was I always like playing with one guy and kind of just getting used to it and, um, you know, and then when you're playing with seven, it seems like you're kind of playing with every guy uh, and just out of sync a little bit. So for me, I just, I don't know, I don't love it. I think, you know, the league's been around for 100-plus years, and it's kind of always been 60, I think. But, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm a traditionalist when it comes to that. So I'd rather I'd rather 5D and um, an extra forward. So... Did you ever play the Eric Gustafson role, which is, hey, maybe you're the seventh of seven defensemen and we want to get you in offensive uh, situations, maybe namely or strictly quarterbacking a power play? Like, how hard is it to get the rhythm of the game, to be in the game, if what your coach is trying to do is protect you from certain situations? Yeah, that was the worst because you were, and, you know, I was kind of in that situation a lot. Um, but the thing is, if you're not out there getting touches and getting a feel for the game when you get to the power play, when that's like, when that's your uh, money maker, it's kind of, it's 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 tough. You know, you're not fully engaged to the game. You haven't got your reps. Your legs aren't under you. You don't have the speed of the game. Uh, your timing's off a little bit. Uh, so, 
for me, it was kind of, I think when the, the best I felt on the power play was kind of when, you know, you were playing a little bit more, you were getting, uh, you were getting a lot of reps, um, you know, just getting your touches and, and being out there and feeling the speed of the game. So, um, yeah, it's always, it's always tough when, you know, you just, uh, there, there were times I remember Dave Tippett had kind of told me, he was like, you know, playing good enough. Uh, I want to sit you, but we don't have anyone else. So you just kind of play power play. And it was, it was never, never fun doing that. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I get where they're, where they're coming from, but uh, I think you also got to trust your guys and trust what you got. I think why they might be entertaining uh, Eric Gustafson playing a reasonable role for this team, even at that role is just power play quarterbacking is because the current power play quarterback, Morgan Riley hasn't necessarily been the most impactful uh, power play quarterback imaginable. I mean, there are definitely others around the league that have better skills that get better results. Leafs power play is still uh, one of the good ones around the league, but it feels like, and it was always felt like they could get a little bit more out of that position specifically, that being the power play quarterback. So I, you know, you've done that role, of course, a lot over the course of your career. What is like the most important skill or attribute that a power play quarterback or a defenseman brings to the power play? Is it the threat of the shot? Is it the ability to sort of orchestrate things from the top of the umbrella? Like what's the most important thing? And does Morgan Riley have it? Yeah, I think uh, the situation with Morgan uh, for you guys up there, I think it's one of those things where you've seen him do it for so long, and it's one of those things you just get. I think he's very underrated with that. Um, I think because you guys watch him, and maybe you know, I think it's one of like when you see someone every year, year in year out, you always it's there's nitpicking to do, and uh, yeah, I don't think. I think it's. I think he's an elite defenseman and uh, an elite power play guy. What did he? Didn't he have 20 goals last year? Um, so he, he's a guy that can. For me, I think he's at the top uh, of the list for power play guys. Um, but he, uh, yeah, I think the biggest thing. The biggest thing for me. Sorry, I was just dropping off my kids. Um, it's okay. The biggest thing for me on the power play was uh, knowing when to pass and knowing when to shoot, but also um, also one of those things where it's just setting setting things up to put the guy that you're giving the puck to in the best position, not giving guys the puck, uh, you know, when they're not expecting it or it's kind of uh, in their feet or bad pass, stuff like that. So. The big thing for me was just kind of settling it down, and especially being up top on the power play, is just settling it down, getting everybody comfortable. Uh, the breakout's a huge thing when you can, uh, when you're the defenseman, it's usually just kind of worrying about beating one guy, giving it to uh, your forwards, and getting the puck in. But, you know, there's a lot of things that go into it. I think Morgan does a lot of them um, to an elite level. Uh, I think he's a great defenseman, a great power play defenseman. So, um, yeah, I, I I don't think the grass is greener for uh, Leafs fans up there. I don't think there's many guys in the league that can do a better job than him. So I wouldn't get too uh, harped up on it with him. I think he's uh, he's done a great job for you guys for a long time. 
Yeah, we just checked the stats. Uh, 10 goals last year to two this year, but uh, in power play performance, he had 23 points on the power play last year. He's at 13, so not, not too far off, so some time down the season here. Um, all right, let's talk about Mitch Marner, who's been someone that's been quite steady, um, obviously, this season along. We've been putting him in the Selkie conversation. Uh, I'm not sure if a winger will ever win that award, but we're trying to campaign for it. How do you contextualize what Mitch Marner has been able to do um, league-wide in his role this season? Yeah, he's so good. Um, I think he should be up there in that conversation. I think Austin has also made a case for himself too with that. Like those guys are they they bought in big time to, you know, playing that defensive role and uh, you know, maybe in the years past they would have used all their energy offensively. Uh but I think I think they've done a great job of playing a two hundred foot game and uh, I, I, Mitch is just a special, special player. He, anytime he has the puck, it's it's much much watched TV. Like even the other night, he made a little flip play. Like it's kind of a, you know, if you're watching the game, you maybe you don't think too much about it, but it's just such an elite, high level skill play. And I think for him too, it's his his hockey IQ is off the off the charts. Like. He always puts guys in good position with the puck. Never gives guys, you know, if someone's covering them. Uh, always had his head. Always has his head on a swivel. But yeah, like you were saying, his his defensive zone, his stick, his uh, willingness to block shots. Uh, I mean, there's just not much to to not like about his game. He's uh, he's really bringing it. So we're going to see Ilya Samsonov and Matt Murray, I think, split carries down the stretch, it looks like, here for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, they might be leaning towards Samsonov. They might be leaning towards Murray. I'm not really sure, I guess, if they're looking for confirmation bias. Maybe they want to see if Matt Murray can steal the net because I think they brought him here to be the guy in the playoffs. Uh, but that story will persist down the stretch. I do wonder, though, like, when you're a player, when you're on a team is it hard to not have your own bias? Like, is it hard if you're, you just think you're a better team with one goaltender as opposed to the other? Is it hard for that not to seep into your consciousness? Is it hard for a team to not let that affect their play when they might all be on the same page? Wait, hey, this goaltender's given us best, the best results and they've been better all season long. Like, do players prefer having one goaltender compared to the next when there is a legitimate goaltending competition on a team? Yeah, well, I think that, that then if there is something like that, it's got to come from your leadership group, talking to your coaches, talking to the GM or whoever's making the decisions. It's I think just the, the way the league is, and I never really understood it, like just the separation between, and I don't think there is one in, in Toronto. I think that uh, Keith does a great job with the players and, and keeping the leadership guys involved. But I never understood why it was always kind of a, the coaches versus the players, like we're all on one team, you know what I mean? So I think the communication thing, if, you know, if the guys like playing in front of uh, Samsonov or in front of Murray, I think it, it should be one of those things where the team talks about it. You, you kind of sit down with the coaches, figure out uh, a plan, but that, that that's one of those things where I think they're going to play. It's going to play out with the way that they play down the stretch. Um, I do agree. I think they they brought in Murray to do that. He's obviously won. He's a uh, he's an elite goalie. Um, do I think they probably want him to get hot uh, towards the end of the year? I would say so. But at the end of the day, if if Samsonov steals the net, then you got to ride with him. But 
I also think like going into playoffs, like you see, was it Minnesota last year with Flurry and Talbot, where it's kind of, you know, you don't know who's going to play. Uh, it's kind of up in the air every game. I think that doesn't do any good for a team too. Um, not only the goalies, but the team. If you don't know who's going to play, kind of you're like, okay, what's going on here? Who's playing? Because uh, every goalie's different. Like if you're a defenseman and one goalie plays the puck really well and one goalie doesn't, it's a, uh, you know, it can change up how you go into the game and uh, your mindset going in. We're talking to Keith Yandel, former NHL defenseman and current Sportsnet analyst. All right, so the Maple Leafs have some things to figure out here down the stretch, but waiting for them looming is the Boston Bruins who have had basically the never-ending season of record-breaking uh, performances. What's been most impressive for you when you look at what the Boston Bruins have been able to do this regular season? Yeah, I think it's everything. It's just their overall team game. Um, obviously, that home record they had uh, to start off the year was insane. Um, I never found it too hard of a building to play in. I don't know if it was because I was from there. Uh, you know, there were definitely a lot of lot more buildings for me that I hated going into. But um, yeah, I don't know. I think the probably the biggest thing for me is just the way that they've been able to. You know, with a new coach, um, you know, their, their goaltending's been amazing. But I, I think having a new coach come in and the way that they can just almost be seamless um, going into the season was, was impressive, especially with the injuries earlier. But I, I think that, like I said earlier about the coaches and the players uh, being on the same page, I think the Bruins do a really good job of that. And I saw it firsthand at the at the outdoor game, just, you know, Monty talking with Bergeron and guys like that about practices, stuff like that. So it, it's, I think that those, those days where the players are afraid of the coaches are kind of done and everyone is, is one, um, I think it's a good thing. But, yeah, I, I would say definitely the way that they handled the beginning of the season with Marshawn and, and uh, McAvoy and Grizzlick out was uh, very impressive. And um, the, the trade deadline is uh, is behind us. Uh, hindsight is twenty twenty. But uh, bad news for Canes fans yesterday. Um, Andrei Shvetchnikov is out for the rest of the season, needing surgery for knee injury. Um, the Metro was uh, kind of a, a toss-up for times. A lot of teams there at the top. But it looks like they might be looking back at their trade deadline where they didn't do as much, saying, what if, um, with that hindsight, is that how you view what the rest of the season is going to look like for the Carolina Hurricanes? Yeah, that's a tough break, especially for a you know a special young player like him. Um, will they be kicking? I, I, I don't know. I think they're still a team that could do some damage. They win by committee. Um, they're not a team that relies heavily on one or two guys, I don't think. Uh, so I think if it happens to another team, it might be uh, something where you're kicking yourself a little bit. But I think the way that the structure of their group, the way that they're they play under uh, Brenda Moore is kind of a team game. Um, so I, I think that they could still be okay. Obviously, you're going to miss him. Um, but it's also, you, you see it every year in the playoffs, like a young kid come in and, and have a great series or win, you know, get a couple overtime goals. So maybe they have someone in the minors or a young kid that's going to come in and help up, and that's what you need, especially when you're when you're missing one of your best players. 
Connor McDavid officially has the most productive season in the salary cap era. I believe he scored his uh, or picked up his 129th point, scoring into an empty net yesterday in a win over the Ottawa Senators. Uh, he still has 14 games to go, and 129 points is the best we've seen in this era of hockey. Uh, do you have a on ice moment or a story you can share with Connor McDavid? Have you ever been uh, at the receiving end or on the receiving end rather of some Connor McDavid magic? Yeah, um, I'm sure. I can't really remember it because he's one of those guys. If, if he puts you, uh, you know, on the highlights, it's kind of like, all right, well, he's done it to everybody. So, um, I don't really remember one exactly. It was kind of one of those things. If I saw his leg coming over the boards, I was sprinting to the bench. Um, <laughs> probably because the coaches were yelling for me to come to the bench too. So, yeah, I wasn't out there against him a ton. Um, but just, yeah, I, I, I just really hope everybody watching hockey is just appreciating how good of a player this guy is. It's like, it, it, it truly is video game stuff, but he, he like every time you watch him and you know, you can tell he just loves the game. He wants to win. Um, you know, you see another sport, like if he was LeBron James, he would be like, Oh, me, me, me. Like this guy, all he wants to do is win and, and uh, like, contribute to his team. So he's just a special player. Um, great for the league. Uh, great for hockey. So, I, I really just hope everyone's appreciating what he's done and what he's doing for this league. And uh, I know I'm enjoying watching him. Uh, my real basic math skills tell me that a point and a half per game over the next 14 will take him to 150, which would be an unbelievable accomplishment considering that's, you know, a good 60, 63 points, I think, more than what won the Art Ross eight years ago. Like, the game has changed unbelievably so. <laughs> love and, bringing up that Art and Ross. Connor, that's my greatest, that's my <laughs> that's my favorite stat because, like, it's it just tells you how much he's changed the game. He wasn't around in 2015 when Jamie Benn won the Art Ross trophy with 87 points, and I think he's changed the reality for uh, everybody, really, coming into this game and changing things uh, quite a bit. Last one for you. Uh, it's a big, you know, Florida week here for the GMs and the reporters, everyone down there schmoozing in Florida. Uh, They're going to be talking about NHL things in addition to drinking uh, margaritas, I suppose. Um, (laughs) Video review is top of mind, it seems. From a player's perspective, like, do we need more? Do you want to see more? What, What are players thinking when these reviews are happening? Is it an annoyance? Is it something that you guys appreciate? What What is the player's perspective on video review and the idea of more of it? Yeah, so my thing is, um, i got two things on that. I always just never understood, which, I mean, maybe it's the manpower or whatever, but I just never understood why, uh, you know, the guys in Toronto or New York, wherever it is, they couldn't just, they get, even if it's a uh, puck out of play, you know, like if it's tipped off a stick, if, if they just see it and call down. Like, I, I don't understand why it takes so long and has to go to the box. I don't know if it's, for theatrics or whatever, but I don't think anyone enjoys the waiting around. But um, I, I just never understood why they couldn't just call down right away and be like, because now watching on TV, you can, if I had the ability to just rewind and look at it, I could just call in and it'd be 10 seconds, you know? Um, the, the review, I also agree with it. Like in playoffs, I, I would, I think they should do a little more, even have more guys watching and just have it 
where it doesn't take as much time, but you're getting the right call. Because I think in playoffs, if you're getting the right call, it's the, the right thing. Um, obviously, during a regular season game, if there's you know a lot of TV time, or not TV time, a lot of you know waiting around, it can kind of lose the interest of the fan or whatever. Um, you know, people changing the channel. So I think if they could just figure it out and be a little quicker and. Um, but you see it in football too, like they're in, in, they're the biggest league in the world. Like they take forever too with their reviews. So maybe it's just a uh, something you have to deal with. But I, I like the I like the review. I like especially in playoffs when they get the calls correct. Um, you know, because at the end of the day, it's uh, the Stanley Cup left on the line. Uh, so the more uh, I think they maybe could do more review in the playoffs than they do during regular season and people wouldn't be as upset at that as long as they get it right. Yeah, I'm I'm all for rules being a, not different, but maybe the enforcing. Um, that sounds bad too. The enforcement of rules being different. I just think okay, so you have four officials working in the regular season. Maybe have six more streamlined communication in the playoffs. So there's just a more ability to get the call right as quick as but possible. It's going to be more refs than players. Uh, no, it's not about six like on it, the ice. No, not not sorry, oh. not, not six on the ice. An officiating like, team. There's the eye in the sky. You're right. Yeah. Like the eye in the sky should be the most powerful thing. If the eye in the sky is talking to referees and being like, "Hey, we might, uh, you guys should just take a second here. Let let us look at it. That's a four minute penalty. Uh, just just give us ten seconds mm. to make sure and confirm. Like that would help things along because if it's on the referees to talk then talk to coaches, then look at a tablet, then make the call. It takes forever. If someone has the ability to see replays and communicate with the officials, especially in playoff games, I think it would just improve the overall product. Yeah, I agree. And we don't need six officials calling penalties, though. That would be a disaster. <laughs> would be, be running into guys in the corners. Just uh, be chaos. <laughs> All right, that's Keith Yandel, former NHL defenseman and Monday night hockey analyst here at Sportsnet. We appreciate the time this morning. No problem. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, no problem. That's Keith Yandel. Uh, lots of good stuff in the NHL world from Merrick and Yandel this morning. That's also our insider brought to you by just, you can always just say. I didn't want to step on your toe. You were getting there, you're buddy. Pre- you're pretending to drive. You can just say, <laughs> that's our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. You confuse me because... Keith was driving he was at a certain driving. point. So I'm like, what are you alluding to him being in the car? He might have been in a Don Valley North Lexus. Don Valley North Lexus read that uh, was my responsibility. There. I, 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 I maintain this is easy. Just have people with influence and televisions at the same time that can communicate with officials. I really don't think it's difficult. If you're expecting them to do everything, including actually look at replays, it's going to take too long. If we are screaming at our televisions at home that we've seen something that we know is true and the officials haven't seen yet, that means someone else in a paid and professional position can do the same thing. If you add eye in the sky to every game at the NHL level, I guarantee it will improve things. And for that reason, you can just keep going because you're relying as officials on the eye in the sky. You don't have to stop and explain everything. You just be like, our guys up top said this. Sorry, Sheldon. Our guys up top have made the call. Let's move on. Mm. You put less onus on them. They can just ignorance is bliss a little bit and say, our guys made the call upstairs. Okay? 
And then it's done. Conversation over. Eye in the sky. Change hockey. Okay, well, the GM meetings are continuing today down in Florida. Gary Batman's supposed to be speaking. Maybe just send that little tidbit down. Say, eye in the sky. Gary's not listening to me. Solution presented to him. How about that little nugget? That owners want to spend more money? You know things are... Shocking. You know, like, NHL players are being worked over when the <laughs> owners, the guys who have been keeping salary down for my entire lifetime, our entire lifetimes in the, in the NHL, want to spend more money. Not the GMs. Not the GMs that have the tough task of piecing together this puzzle with players under the salary cap. The owners want to spend more money. What are we doing? If the owners want to spend more, <laughs> let them. Sorry. There's a good text in here from Adam in Guelph. Isn't there a hotline for viewers to call into the PGA to report a violation and they actually go back and look at it? I think that did, was that the Dustin Johnson thing? Something happened where somebody moved a ball or something happened. Dustin Johnson, I believe, grounded grounded his club. I think it was a Mm -hmm. U.S. Open Mm -hmm. and got, I don't know if it was PGA Tour officials or it was the fan call-in thing. Can you imagine? But he was in like an area where people were standing Mm -hmm. and it was sand, but it was not a sand trap. It wasn't a bunker. It wasn't. And uh, DJ grounded his club and I believe got a couple stroke penalty and ended up losing. DJ's had some heartbreak. I think he's doing fine. That's, that's why he went to live. Just so many. He's getting so, a heartbreak with so, 150 mil. So many bad memories on the PGA Tour, all these places where he's uh, either missed the opportunity to win majors or grounded his club erroneously. He sleeps pretty well at night on his cashmere pillow I don't even Sleep think it's cashmere. What's, what's more comfortable Silk? than cashmere? Like actual dollar bills. Well, wait, that's, I was going with that. We won't be betting on him in this upcoming Valspar no, tournament. No, we could bet on him. Mean, there's a live event this weekend. Are we is. doing live picks nah, with our PGA, PGA. Nah, we're, we're on the up and up. We're going to continue our Fanex Cup uh, second weekend of it. Alish is up uh, 1,000 to zero. The bank accounts are such. $1,000 to zero dollars. We will continue with our three-peat of Wake and Rake hits in a row, looking for four. And I'm going to introduce a pick that Ailish will do every day. Ooh. I'm going to tease that. And Daniele's pick. And Daniele's going to give us NCAA. We have lots to do. Okay, let's take a break. See you on the other side. Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Wake up! Now it's time for Wake and Rake. You could be raking in the dough with your kind of accuracy. Show me the money! With Ailish and Justin. All right, it's time for the Wake and Rake. Three in a row. Let's make it four. Lots of tee up. Leafs, Avs, Golf, Danielli's, NCAA. My new pick of the day, which I'll debut at the end, which will also be my Wake and Rake pick today. I'm going doubling oh, down. Oh, you're on doubling? That. That's, yes. that's a dangerous game. Hey, putting... you know what? When you're eight in a row, you can. Yeah, that's true. You can, when you got a thousand dollars in the bank account, thanks to Scotty Chef, you can do whatever. You can do whatever you want. Apparently, you make the, rules. Uh, the the text line would love to inform us that the PGA Tour is no longer doing that. No, eh? No. I think that's. I don't know. Do we need tattletales? <laughs> like I that, don't know. That Justin. was lame. Did you? What's do you for remember the integrity that? of the do sport? You remember yeah, what I happened? remember. That was lame. And don't cheat. He didn't cheat. He was in a trampled area. He technically cheated, and everybody caught him right Why are all the spectators standing in a bunker? Everybody loves bunkers. That's why. 
There you go. Okay, uh, let's let's start with um, our NCAA stuff. So for everyone that missed the six o'clock hour, we are going to have a joint listening competition of all our fan base. A Just joint like joint listening competition. For all of our fans that listen to the Fan Morning Show and that we love very much, just like we did with the prop bets for the Super Bowl, we're going to be having another competition. This time we actually have a prize. The winner of our NCAA Bracket Challenge will get two tickets to a Toronto Blue Jays home game. Love it. That's a good prize. It's a huge prize. We're excited to give that away. Thanks to Danielle for grinding and getting that for us. Um, But for legal issues... We cannot use a, another site for the bracket, so we are creating our own. Um, and it's we have to go the Google different. Form route. Yeah, it's going to be fun. That's our, we do Google Forms. And it's forms. unique, all right? We like Google yeah. Forms. So I'll be sending that out shortly. We're almost finished compiling it through the commercial breaks. I'll be tweeting it out. Justin will retweet it, Fan590. We'll retweet it, everything on Twitter, blah, blah, blah. You'll be able to play along. And Submissions listen, are due before the games start tomorrow. It's different, but I don't think it's lesser. I think we got some cool no, things in there. Way like, more fun. One of the things is stage of elimination for blank team. Mm-hmm. When do you think Duke is going to bow out in the tournament? That is one of the things. Rather than, hey, write it in your sheet somewhere, it's going to be you know listed on, in the Google form. So we're going to have a couple creative items You'll do the, the, the common things like who's going to win the South region. Like, yes, that will be in there. But we'll have a couple other questions to try and make it as fresh as possible. And really, you can complete your bracket, then go to our, our Google form if you're interested in those Blue Jays tickets and kind of use the information from your bracket to fill yes. up your form. And it's going to function pretty much the exact same way other than you just don't rip it up if things are not going poorly or if things are not going well, rather. So... Look for that a little bit after the show. We'll make sure that's out in time because tomorrow's games will be the starting point of our bracket challenge. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. we need them just like a bracket. Need them before 12 p.m. on the Thursday. Perfect. Um, Danielle is going to join us now to give us a little bit of a rundown on his NCAA scouting because he's the guy that knows it all. He's our specialist right here in the booth. So, D, welcome, welcome. Good morning. Last time you were on here is when we did pick a side, bad memories. Oh, well, Another sorry about that. specialty of his. Yeah. Good memories for us, but no. yeah, sorry about that. No, no, no. <laughs> you hungry back there? You've been waiting on that meal for a while. <laughs> oh, no, hey, it's okay. I don't I don't expect anything. I'm good. Yum, it's yum, coming. Yum. It's coming, guys. <laughs> I like the it's yum, coming. yum, yum, by Josh, yes. Um, All right, where do we want to begin? Okay, so we got four regions. Uh, you, you can go any way you want. You can give us a champion. I know, like, you mm-hmm. are prepared to dominate the internal office pool that mm-hmm. we have, so I don't know Oof. if you want to give all your secrets away. So maybe it's value. Maybe you think who's uh, the pick is who's going to win, like, each region or whatever you want to do, whatever bets, whatever value you want to share with the mm-hmm. listeners. Okay. Uh, you can take it any way you like. Okay. Um, so a few things here. Uh, you're giving me the floor here. So I wanted to mention the one thing. I, generally, when I look at this, and I always try to think of teams that are going to make the final four or win the title outright, um, I look for good veteran guard play, guys that have experience. Guard play wins. Guard play is important at this time of year. One you, last night, Raptors you need, Nuggets. You need to have you need to have really good guards, college basketball especially. Um, and you need to have, I think, a serviceable to above average big um, depth. I don't think is extremely important. Of course, if you get an injury, then it becomes important, but you need to have seven, eight guys that can play. You need a very good, you need a good big that can rebound. That's mobile can move. And then you need, you need really strong uh, backcourt play from your guards. So those are the, th- that's essentially what I always look at and try to base my selections around. Um, let's start. I'll start with, um, let's start with the South. I, I wrote down a few teams for each of these regions. 
The South, obviously, Alabama is the heavy favorite there. They're plus 180. Um, in terms of actually all the favorites in those respective regions, they're the largest favorite out of that entire of, of the of the group of favorites for each region. Um, I had a few teams I circled that I thought would be interesting. Uh, Arizona, to me, is an interesting team at plus 450 in the South, and Creighton at plus 850 is interesting. The other thing I always look at is offensive efficiency and defensive efficient, efficiency metrics. Honestly, if you look at Ken Palm rankings, the only uh, since 2002, there's only been one team, one team, one winner uh, of, the, of the national championship in this tournament that has not ranked inside the top 40 of offensive efficiency and top 25 in defensive efficiency. That was last year. That was Kansas. I was very high on Kansas. I picked them last year. I had a lot of belief because of the depth and the, the backcourt, number one. And then number two, they had great, just guys that were upperclassmen and their, their big David McCormick ended up delivering for them when it really mattered. Um, but that's the lone exception to the rule here. So if you're looking for something, you can literally pull up Kempom and say, okay, of these top teams, which ones are in the top 40, which ones are in the top 25 of those two categories, you can pr pretty much get, get it down to a good number where you could say, okay, these are the teams that can realistically win a national title. Okay. So those, those two Creighton and Arizona from the South, I think have an opportunity to make, make an extended run. The West, Kansas is the favorite in that category. They won the title last year. The, the team I'm most interested in here is UConn at plus 450. I like UConn. My only question with them is their point guard play. They're deep. They have lots of talent. They're big. They're athletic. Is how consistent can their guard play be? If it's consistent enough, they're, they're good enough to beat anybody. They were a number one team in the country at one point this year. So I really like, th like them a lot. Excuse me. In the East, in the East, Purdue's the favorite. Purdue's a little bit fraudulent. Zach Eady, Canadian, best player in the country, no questions, had a remarkable season, will win that award. But when we look at the rest of the grouping there, Duke at plus 800 is going to generate a lot of interest. They're, my only concern with them is they're very young. They're pretty much loaded with freshmen. First time for John Shire being the head coach in this tournament. So I'm I'm not sure how, if they're going to a Final Four. Can they make a run? Yes. But I'm not saying I, I wouldn't be putting them in a Final Four in my opinion. Michigan State is another team that I think their bracket lines up really well for them. They have an interesting uh, first-round matchup, but if they get past their first-round matchup against USC, they would line up against Marquette. Marquette, and we've you guys have actually talked about Marquette this week a little bit, and we had people text in. To me, they're an interesting one because everybody, they're, they're the team that's getting a lot of public love right now as like, oh, underdog to make the run, underdog to make the run. Shaka Smart, they've had a remarkable season, but I think Michigan State in a second-round matchup against them would actually line up really well because they have so much experience, and they're well-coached, and they have good guard play. Again, it comes down, I think, a lot of that is good guard play. So I, I actually think Michigan State has, a, if not to make it deeper than that, to make even the Sweet 16 get through the first week is a possibility for them. The last um, outright, and then we have the outright, uh, no, am I missing? I'm missing the Midwest. Last region is the Midwest. I'm, I'm a big Houston guy. Everybody's down on Houston going into the tournament because they lost to Memphis. The only, the biggest question for them is if Marcus Sasser is going to be healthy. If Marcus Sasser's healthy, I think they're the best team in the country. They defend better than anybody else. They have, they have, um, they're very big and very physical. And then there are three guards, Sasser, Traymond Mark, and uh, uh, Jamal Shedd are all really, really good. So I actually like them. I'm higher, I think, on them than most. If you're looking for another team in that side of the region that is you know, probably best suited to make a run. It's the number two seed, Texas plus three fifty. Texas Marcus Carr, Canadian kid. Uh, they're they're a veteran group. Uh, they've gone through a lot of adversity this year, so they're really battle tested. 
they're a team that could that could make it to the final four. My outright natty picks. Um, I wrote down Houston again. I'm I'm guilty. I am I am in on the Cougars. Um, Arizona plus sixteen hundred. UConn at plus sixteen hundred. And the most talented team in college basketball is Alabama. They're plus seven hundred. So they're not even the betting favorite. So if you're interested in trying to get the most talented team, Alabama is that. I would say the reason I'm not I'm not picking and messing with Alabama to win the title, and and it's just more of a narrative play. Brandon Miller had his whole situation unfold and there were not repercussions in place. I don't know how I feel about that. I just don't think they're winning a national championship. It might be silly to have that reasoning for it, but I actually think that's part of this equation and part of this whole story for them. They'll make a run. They're very good, but I don't think they're winning. And there's a lot of support for Bama. I think they're the most, they're the team picked the most to win the national championship based on the brackets that have been filled up so far. So you know, maybe you, you maybe you embrace Bama. Maybe you go the complete opposite direction to try and win your pool by fading Bama at some point. Just a quick recap. So the South region, Creighton and Arizona, a little bullish on those teams, yep. maybe to get to the Sweet 16, maybe a couple outrights or at least the uh, to win the region. Looking at those two in the West, it's UConn. In the East, maybe not Michigan State to go all the way, but maybe to win their first two games, reach the Sweet 16. And then the Midwest, it's a bit chalky with Houston and your outright considerations would be Houston, Arizona, UConn, and Bama, 16 to 1, UConn, mm-hmm. and Arizona. Correct. Yeah. I think those are the ones that uh, I, I was looking at. And, and I would I want to say this a lot of parity in this tournament this year. I feel like more than in some of the years past, where you look at the field, you look at a lot of the matchups, and it's just very, you could see a lot of different teams making it. I think there's a small group that can actually win the whole thing, but in terms of the, the field at large, there's a ton of parity across the board. And I felt that the whole year uh, watching college basketball, there was a lot of movement in rankings and whatnot. So it was very interesting. Last one very quickly. Is there a Cinderella? Is oh. there someone with long, long odds that can make the some peacocks, noise? peacocks, I wish. <laughs> yeah, Kalish is this year's version of the peacocks. Yes. Uh, I kind of like VCU. They're in a 12-5 matchup against St. Mary's. VCU, the way they play, um, I, I mean, I, I watched them closely last week in, in their conference tournament, and I, I was really impressed. I like them. Um, Drake has, a, has an interesting path. They, they would play, they're playing Miami uh, in the first round, but they have talent, and uh, they're also a veteran team with a good point guard, so I'm kind of interested in them. Um, what about the Drake curse? No, no. <laughs> I like that, but no. Um, but yeah, I would say I'd probably circle those two. And then if for people that are want to keep it on, the 11-6 matchups are always the most interesting. There is always an 11 that makes a run. Always. I actually wrote it down. Um, let me see if I find it here. I had written down uh, the 11s. I think there has only been one instance since the field expanded to 68 where one of the 11s didn't make it to at least the Sweet 16. Wow. So that if you're looking, look for the 11s to to make it through the first weekend. Providence and NC State are among ones that have a little Correct. little, little bit of momentum Pitt, behind. Pitt won them. last night, so they're they're another one that uh, that you could consider. And then there's the the play in, uh, sorry, the first four game tonight between uh, Nevada and Arizona State would be the other 11 seed. All right, D, that was great. Appreciate it. Oh, oh yeah, I wrote pleasure. that down. Tomorrow, it's a Super Bowl. It's my tom- Super Bowl. I love it's your it. Super Bowl. Tomorrow we'll do a couple, whatever, maybe some spreads that stand out to you. We'll do maybe a five pack of those if, you, if you got it. Love it. Okay, let's do golf picks rather quickly. I think so. I won. So you won, but you also picked first last time. Do I go first this time? What do we think, guys? I won. So do I get to pick first, or do we just? But go that back means and like forth? we're not gonna have a winner every week, so you just go first until I win. Okay, go. 
No, you go. No, 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 go, no, no, go, no, you, Justin, go. no you go. No, you go. I don't like the look on your no, face. No, I think you, you should go. I think you should go. Please go. All right. So just tee it up again how this works because people might have missed last okay, week. Okay, so we're, we're picking five golfers. Two are going to come from the top little group, 25 and under. One mid-range, one long shot, one Canadian. Can we pick, do we pick the Canadian last or do we pick it any time? I know where you're going with this. Because there's one Canadian well, who's... Well, that's what I would well, like to. Well, either way, I'm getting the Canadian, right? Actually, you know what? You can pick your Canadian any time. How about we do that? You just pick your first pick. doesn't matter what order you go. But this is key because if I'm first and the Canadians are chosen last, I'm getting Adam Hadwin. That's who I would so like So do you well. want to pick Adam Hadwin at any time? You can go for I it. I think How you about can that? help with this. You can pick your Canadian any time. I wondered about this last night too. What if your Canadian is the is a, is the goes in the qualifications of 25 or under? Canadian at any time. Canadian at any time. So you get first selection. What would you like? I will choose Justin Thomas. We'll just start with the the, the favorite at the Valspar. Justin Thomas has not really been uh, that great recently. Uh, but, you know, this is a pretty thin field, and he's an elite-level golfer. He's not on the Rom Scheffler, McElroy level at the moment, but he's the closest to it, so I will take him. And if he cashes, it gives me the lead because he's worth – $1,100. Right. So you have to consider the the bank account that you're working with. Um, and as someone that's up a thousand to nothing, I'm going with straight narrative pick. Sam Burns. Wow. He's the going two-time for, champ. He's going for the three-peat, the back-to-back-to-back. First time that someone would have done that in PGA since 09. Um, he's plus 1,800. I saw it. I love it. You know I like a narrative pick, so I'm going Sam Burns. Burns, he's been in a rough spot too, but... You sometimes the course just nobody speaks in to this you. tournament's really in a great spot. No, but the, <laughs> he's uh, it's he's been playing poorly, good, but he always plays well there. So I think it's a good I think it's a good selection. Uh, should I take the Canadian? You can do whatever you want. I'll take the Canadian. Adam Hadwin. Uh, there's only three Canadians in the field. He is the he's got the fifth shortest odds right now. So I'll just I'll get him into the system because I know I have a little bit of an advantage there. It does set you up nicely for. I mean, I guess he's under 25 and under, so I guess I kind of made my bed there. Yeah, so that's your, I don't know that's where, your pick. I don't know where, where it leaves me for my... Where do I make my next pick then? Do I get someone else in the top? I do. I get someone else in the top in the top tier because that's my Canadian. Okay, whatever. Because otherwise, where am I going to make the pick from? So this is 25 to zero. This is odds. the Canadian. They're, they're separate. No. They live in their own okay. bubble. So you get now okay. three picks in the top That's right. six. I'm going to go with uh, Jordan Spieth then. Um, I got to get someone a little bit higher up in the rankings here. Um, I was de- determining him or Matt Fitzpatrick, but I'm going to go with Jordan Spieth. Um, and then you get another pick in the top um, echelon. Top tier, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think Jordan Spieth is playing as well as anyone in yeah. the field. So I think that's a great pick. I will take Justin Rose as my other top tier guy. Uh, he played well last week. At the Players' Championship, he's won, I believe, already this year, which is a good thing. So Justin Rose will be my guy. Okay, so you've got three picks. I need another one now, um, but we can move to the second criteria of selections. Um, It's funny, but I'm going Wyndham Clark. We talked about him last week. Um, Yeah, you know what? He's been playing some good good golf as late, um, and I think that... We talked about him for a reason. The name. I just like had a feeling about Wyndham. It's the guy that wins a Valspar championship. He does, right? The, the words Valspar, just, it's very Wyndham Clark. The The mid-tier group is small. Very small. There's not many so, so between 25, 25 and to 50. 50 eh? I will take Davis Riley as my 25 to 50 guy. Uh, 
I don't have much reason to do it other than he's a guy who seems like he could pop every now and then. And you need to pop to win a golf tournament. So I'll take Davis Riley. So I need to pick um, somebody from, what am I, 50 or, or higher? Or you're Canadian, yeah. Well, I get to t- pick a Canadian anyway at the end. So yeah. um, 50 to higher. <laughs> Joel Damon. Yes, I love it. I'm going with the fun. I'm up one nothing. I'm up a thousand to zero. I can do whatever I want. So I'm going Joel Damon. I mean, you got the two-time winner, Jordan Spieth, yeah. and one of the more likable pers- people. I'm really on tour. happy with plus Wyndham Clark, who yeah. wins Valspar Championships. I like that pick as well. Uh, okay, this is my last pick, my long shot. I will go with. I will go with. Oh, Ben Griffin's not in that list. I will go with. Victor Perez, Victor Perez, seen a little, uh, little momentum behind Victor Perez. A lot of people bullish on Victor Perez okay. this week. So I'll, I'll circle him as my long shot at 66 to one. Who are my f- remaining Canadians here? You have Nick Taylor, our guy, yeah. and Michael Glidgick, okay, who is Nick one, Taylor, Michael Glidgick's like a million to one. So I would, Nick yeah, Taylor, Nick Taylor. Uh, and he's at what here? 75, 75. I thought it'd be worse than that. Okay, so let's run through our picks one more time here. we got to go quick. Okay, uh, I have Justin Thomas, Adam Hadwin, Justin Rose, Davis Riley, and Victor Perez. And you have Sam Burns, Jordan Spieth, Wyndham Clark, Joel Damon, <laughs> I and our the guy, fun bunch. Nick Taylor. My, my group is an absolute blast. Um, okay, quickly, we got to do the anchor picks. Um, my pick for tonight is also my newest pick I'm introducing to the show, the dog of the day. In honor of my new puppy, I'll be picking a dog of the day. Um, unfortunately, the dog I had selected has now become a favorite, so I'm in a little bit of a spot here. So we'll do that tomorrow. Um, no, but um, <laughs> I'll tell you that my dog of the day was supposed to be the Sacramento Kings. They will be my my awake and rake pick. They were at plus 100. They're now minus 110, so they won't be my dog of the day, but they will be my awake and rake pick, so I'll get a new one while you tell us yours. Well, it's a good sign that we're moving in the right direction. I will take the over between Colorado and Toronto, maybe hoping it, wishing it into existence. I think a high-scoring game with a lot of revenge angles and, of course, the Leafs playing at a high level. Let's roll through these anchor selections rather quickly. You got to have a name if we're going to discuss it this morning. I will start with, I believe, Neil. Mm-hmm. Still battling through Indian Wells. Uh, going with the top female player other than Iga Sviantek in Sabalenka over Coco Goff. Sabalenka, minus 160. Okay, we got another over in the Leafs game. We got a wild in regulation over the Blues. That's Cody and St. Catharines. Uh, Ron and Jules, they like the Lakers two and a half over the Rockets. The Rockets, I believe, beat the Celtics either last night or the night before. And Steph Curry over 27 and a half points. Okay, we got Kings on the money line. Corey and Port Hope, I'm riding with that one as well. Buffalo on the money line against Washington, plus 100, Chris and Moncton. That's my dog of the day. Um, plus 100 for Buffalo, a team that's scratching their way just like a dog. That's my dog of the day. Okay. Um, Ian says Zach Levine over 26 and a half points. Uh, we got an over in Sabres Capitals. That's Parlay Poppy. And then Marquette, just a reminder from Chad and Peter about, um, that he had for the futures, is 2,500 now to 2,000. Marquette so to win the tournament. I don't moving. know. Daniele didn't say. He didn't have much faith in uh, old Marquette there. So Okay, let's pick one for the Wake and Rake anchor. We've gone three for three here. So um, We've got over in the Leafs game already secured. Um, I kind of liked Lakers minus two and a half over the Rockets. Like this logic here is really good. Um, Ron and Jules, the Lakers have everything to play for, and it's the Rockets. Yeah, I'm down with it. Let's okay. do Lakers. Two okay. and a half, short spread. Uh, just have to win the game, I hope. Like obviously they can 
they can win and not cover, but generally uh, they're in a good spot if they win and they're going to cover that number. Lakers are fighting for something. Rockets want to be bad. Let's do it. Okay, so our wake and rake is Sacramento Kings on the money line over six and a half in the abs and Maple Leafs came tonight in the Lakers minus two and a half on the spread. Your dog of the day is the Buffalo Sabres and tonight Maple Leafs in action at 7 p.m. on Sportsnet. Canada and, and not Columbia, Canada and Mexico, a must-win game in the World Baseball Classic. Win and in, that's at 3 p.m. And make sure to find our March Madness prop sheet, which we will have momentarily. Uh, momentarily as in two hours. Okay. All right. Thanks for listening today. We'll be back baby Friday to break it all down.